Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema and buy tickets to showings at Trilon.org. My name is Jason and you can find me at Nintendoofus. My name is Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry. I'm on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And I'm Aaron. I'm on Twitter at RB Please. Today we're going to be talking about another in the Ealing series of comedies playing at the Trilon uh, this week, I believe. Uh, 1955's The Lady Killers. Aaron, you want to take it away with your summary, please? Yes, The Lady Killers, directed by Alexander McKendrick. Uh, he's an Ealing Studios director primarily during his life. Uh, he was also famous for another Ealing Studios movie, uh, 1949's Whiskey Galore, uh, which we did not cover, but is generally considered, along with The Lady Killers and Kind Hearts and Coronets, one of the better movies uh, from the studio around that time period. Um, it was written by William Rose, nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. It actually did win the BAFTA for Best British Screenplay. And the movie stars Katie Johnson as Mrs. Wilberforce, who is a sweet and innocent old lady who lives alone in a house in London. She's approached by Professor Marcus, who is played by Alec Guinness, who offers to rent several of her rooms uh, for himself and a few of his friends. Uh, who all purport to be amateur musicians, but are actually a crew of criminals assembled to pull off a robbery. Uh, unbeknownst to Mrs. Wilberforce, she is also a part of Professor Marcus's robbery plan, but things began to unravel when she proves unexpectedly hard to deal with. Wonderful. Excellent summary, Aaron. You set it up perfectly. Um, I'm going to give my two cents about the movie because I feel like after I was done talking about it with Aaron, we watched it together yesterday. It, uh, it was not his flavor, and I want to I want to sort of defend before it's able to be assailed too much. I I'm not gonna like super stand for this movie because of course it is just like I don't know it's pretty flat. It's not altogether way too interesting, but in that it is straightforward. I think that the more complex these Elin comedies have gotten, the less funny, the less like intentionally interesting they've been in in many ways for me. Um, and I think just the outs, like the very simple premise and, uh, and, uh, excuse me, what's his name? Alec Guinness doing his best Lon Chaney is just a really good, really good combo for me. So I, I approved, uh, I don't know who to throw to next. I guess we can go in the order of introduction, Cody. Thank you, Jason. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I thought this, uh, I guess the OG lady killers, um, I thought it was fine. I don't regret watching it. Um, but without, uh, without Guinness, really, I didn't feel like there was a ton for me to latch onto or to want to latch onto, I guess would be better. Um, the stakes to me felt if they weren't non-existent, they felt imaginary, um, or fabricated, uh, 
many times, especially as we got into the the latter half of the movie after the heist had been completed. I didn't, uh, I couldn't quite put my finger on what like the narrative impetus was for them staying where they were. You know, I was asking myself, what is keeping them here in in this spot? Um, and it, that in a way that was like really distracting. Um, I also don't love movies where. I guess I guess would you call these guys the antagonists? Uh, it's it's kind of weird, um, but like where the antagonist is like their own undoing. Um, I guess it's kind of why like Ferris Bueller is you know it's great fun, but there's a limit to how much I can personally enjoy that story because the opposing force, being the principal, is kind of tripping over themselves. They never pose any threat, and that's kind of what this movie felt like to me. Um, and I don't know the the sort of turn is. You know, as as long as these guys submit to this woman and they abide by her decorum or a certain decorum, um, then then they will have lost, and that just wasn't as fun as I'd hoped it would be. Okay, um, I'm really glad that you started us off, Jason, because that's an interesting perspective to have. Um, I should put some caveats on my take, which is that uh, we are obviously still in quarantine. Um, and I've been struggling maybe with a little bit of a attention deficit difficulties, which has made some of watching movies at home, um, more difficult for me than, than usual, which is maybe why I like theater so much. Um, and also I should say that, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of contradict myself here because usually I hate to be the guy who just says that like, oh, older films just aren't right for the times anymore. And like, it makes sense that I wouldn't like something like this. Um, I try to, um, I I try not to be that way because that's not really something I believe in. Um, but all that being said, um, I think I probably had a similar takeaway that Aaron did. Um, I found this movie very, very boring, um, and almost entirely unfunny. To be honest with you, um, I appreciated the screenplay. Um, I appreciate that it was almost like a stage play. It, it took place in one location. I thought that they had some really nice set piece um, details that were clever. There were one or two jokes that made sense to me um, and were funny. But I just thought that like it, it's the sort of thing where it's like I see how influential it was. But maybe I'd been exposed to so many more interesting to my contemporary sensibilities um, versions of this that I just found it like unbelievably like wrote and almost from the start, just like it was like a little bit like watching paint dry for me. Uh, and I feel bad about it. Right. Uh, because it makes me feel like I'm like a snot nosed, uh, whippersnapper, um, which I'm not really anymore, but that was my feeling about it. Um, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, can I ask really quick? Did you end up? You had messaged me saying that you were thinking about watching. The I, I did not, version. sir, because I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I like. I, I finished watching this movie, and I was like, I can't do this again. And like, I'd heard that the Coen Brothers movie was worse, and it was just like, I just don't know if this is for me. Yeah, the Coen Brothers movie might be more watchable because it is distinctly a Coen Brothers movie. I described it to Jason when we were watching this that it's it's like somebody it's like a bad director aping like the goofier Coen brothers movies and doing an okay job of it, but still making a bad movie. Like that's kind of what it is. I read um, the Wikipedia summary. And to be honest, I thought that like the, it sounds more madcap and I actually yeah, don't is. think that this movie needed to be more madcap. I don't exactly know what it needed to be, but I think that that making it even zanier would not have worked for me either. So I was just like, ah, that sounds like a skip. 
did it need uh, Tom Hanks doing a terrible Southern accent and uh, all of the Coen Brothers' worst tendencies surrounding uh, non-white characters just turned up to a hundred? Yeah, that, that doesn't you sound, get. sounds not great. Yeah. Um, it, sorry, my my take on this film uh, specifically. Um, I don't know. I, I won't say that I. I'm, maybe I'm just trying to be optimistic here. I didn't love it. Um, I was a little cold on it. I think that. Uh, the nearest comparison point for this movie would be Kind Hearts and Coronets, uh, for a bunch of different reasons, but also because we watched it a few weeks ago and recorded on it, right? And it's an Alec Guinness, uh, generally an Alec Guinness film. Um, it's also a dark comedy in the same way that this movie kind of turns into dark comedy uh, into the second half of it. Um, kind Hearts and Coronets works for me because it asks, uh, it asks the audience to come along in its darkness uh, and that the main character is a person with a very unique perspective and attitude. And we are kind of forced to uh, uh, pay attention to that character and see the world through that character's eyes. This movie, the darkness in the second half, specifically around these criminals accidentally and not accidentally uh, killing each other. um, It feels, I think the point is that it's supposed to be juxtaposed to the kind of light, innocent nature of Mrs. Wilberforce. Uh, but it feels like weirdly dark at times and and not really funny to me. Um, also, just, uh, you know, I think that the movie doesn't look great. Um, it's it's very claustrophobic, maybe in a way that's intentional. But 90 percent of this movie takes place in this old woman's house. And there's a bunch of physical comedy about all these kind of larger men trying to move around the space, uh, which is interesting at times but i think mostly it just feels very cramped in a way that i didn't especially love um so yeah i don't know i i did there were some moments where i laughed uh i remarked to jason that if i was in if i was alive in 1955 i bet this shit would have blown my mind but uh that's kind of how i felt about it too yeah i bet i would have been rolling like the the scene where she comes up and asks them if they need any tea and then they say no and they like usher her out while they're trying to make the robbery plans and then she waits outside the door and then goes well would you like any coffee i bet i bet i would have been rolling down the aisle in 1955 <laughs> like that would have been the funniest shit i'd ever seen in my entire life I got to agree with you on a couple of points, Aaron, that it's not the most interesting movie to look at, that it has like occasionally strange. And I think maybe that's a little bit of what Harry was getting at when he talked about some of the staging and um, some of the framing of the movie is like, it's not always the most aesthetically appealing. I think the first thing that struck me when I was watching this movie was like, damn, the coloring looks like it was a 1930 black and white film that they went and like artificially touched up. Ooh, that's a great every color. It, it all kind of looks like falsely pastel in a lot of ways which i'm not going to hold it like i'm not one to really dig into the technical details of of what makes a movie bad i like to highlight what makes a movie good through those aspects rather than like oh the coloring or like the contrast is bad in this movie i don't i don't give a shit honestly but in this movie it just took me aback and it sort of set the stage for this is way and i've and i've kept using the word the term farce and farcical for movies that are in uh in this series but i think in this movie like both in form and writing and directing it very much has that flavor uh your point aaron i think you said this is that it like eventually turns into dark comedy is an interesting thing to hear because i think from this from the absolute moment that once you see uh alec guinness's face yeah. and the goofy buck teeth as soon as you see that you're like okay he's creepy but he's funny this is a dark comedy that tone was set throughout for me like every aspect of direction and acting was like 100% dark comedy. So I want to know, I guess to the group, 
was that something that eventually you realized or that eventually became more obvious or was it as it was for me just right off the bat knowing what it, you know what this movie was and what it was going for um, I don't know that I disagree with Aaron's point necessarily, but I will say that that to me, genre conventions actually like really hampered my appreciation of the story. Um, from the very, I really disliked that first scene with Alec Guinness, um, and I I get that it was supposed to be funny, and um, and I can appreciate that, but I I think that it gets at this thing that's that's like a very 1950s sort of sensibility that just completely fell flat for me, which is that like I think even in the Wikipedia they refer to Alec Guinness's character as an archly sinister character, and like when you first see him with the buck teeth and everything, they all but do the like da 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 like he he's like a he's a fucking like like monster character and like. It, it gets to this place where like, like these are like mythological criminals in the like archetype of criminals where like, like they are not human beings. They're, they're like, they're like meant to be um, like this immediate sort of archetype to pull for from and to juxtapose from the little nice, nice old lady. And I get that a lot of the comedy of the lady killers is about juxtaposing this, this like arch cutesy kind little old lady that everybody sort of, loves and tolerates because of her um self-righteousness and her sort of like um bygone era um niceties whereas these characters represent this sort of like uh inverse archetype of being the the awful immoral like like good for nothing uh criminals and that's supposed but like it to my contemporary sensibilities both of those roles were sort of flattened and and sort of became um quaint in a, in a way that that made the fact that they were so obviously a shorthand that the movie wants to proceed from uh, feel really flattening to me rather than expressive and opening in the way that I think the movie wanted them to be. Yeah, I think uh, I, I can't speak to Jason now. I will say that when Jason and I watched the movie the other day, we were both quite enjoying that scene when Alec Guinness shows up. Um, I think that <laughs> God, just like the, the he like yeah. pulls down the, the newspaper from his face and every inch of his head just gets like goofier and goofier looking. I love that reveal. Like that was just, it was very well executed. It was a diamond in the rough type moment. I won't say that every minute of this movie had that, but yeah, you, you're right. I enjoyed that moment. I, I think that, uh, when we compared it to another 1955 film, night of the hunter, uh, which we all had watched together not too long ago uh, before a, quarantine. A, a better film. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Harry, Harry, let's throw down about this. One of us is going to have to go to the mat for the Lady Killers versus Night of the Hunter. I don't think just, anybody's going to take that, that money. Night of the Hunter is like maybe one of like a top twenty movie of all time, maybe. Or <laughs> the Lady Killers but... is a three point five at best. Hey, uh, I do think that I I agree with Harry in that. I mean, I'll, I'll just kind of come out maybe against the grain here and say it. I, I think that uh, Katie Johnson as Mrs. Wilberforce in this movie is easily the star of the show to me. I think she is uh, she's playing an archetype here, right, which is the innocent old woman whose innocence 
saves her, right? Uh, and and is contrasted, and she's also like naive. Like the her naive nature is kind of core to her character that she is unable to really understand just how evil these criminals are. I think she does an excellent job. I think if you're going to watch this movie for something, it's for her performance and her character. Um, Alec Guinness, who is one of the greatest actors of all time, I think is just severely underused in this movie, especially in comparison to Kind Hearts and Coronets, where his acting range and just versatility is fully on display. I think it's completely wasted here. And to be honest, for a movie that is uh, doing kind of this, this er version of the criminal uh, criminals being assembled uh, from different walks of life in order to pull off this kind of heist job, which is, it's a muted version of that. Right. But uh, for a movie that is doing that, I think the cast of characters here, which is full of really good actors. I mean, this is Peter Sellers first major film role. Um, that never really works. Uh, you know, the characters aren't differentiated that much. Uh, yeah. There's really no reason that they would need characters of these different types to come together to rob a van that has some money in it, right? Um, so that aspect, it doesn't really work. And I think part of that is this is an early movie doing that sort of a thing so that, you know, Ocean's Eleven years, years down the line could do it better. Um but yeah, I don't know. For a movie that's such a cast of characters, I think that aspect of it really fell flat, specifically at Alec Guinness, uh, who does fine. But Yeah, definitely. I would even argue, like, at, at certain points, Alec Guinness is, is more than fine. He does some bits of physical acting that, like, those were the moments when I, uh, if not laughed, like, perked up a little bit. Um, like, there was the moment when uh, Mrs. Wilberforce starts to put together what their real identities are and he does like this bit of uh he, he does this look as he's uh di- another scene where he's peering up from a newspaper it's a look that's like threatening but also like embarrassed and kind of apologetic um but I, 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 to your point though like uh kind hearts and coronets to contrast that that was a movie that had uh you know, it's it's full use of, of Alec Guinness that any film could ever want, but they didn't lean into it necessarily. It wasn't like it, it's it's an Alec Guinness movie, but it's not like the Alec Guinness movie. Um, it, it didn't lean too much on on him playing these roles. And he was kind of, you know, like the the one A or, or the two option. Um, and I feel like that movie may have benefited more from that versus the lady killers, which uh, I I agree should have um, utilized him more or maybe leaned on him more because the scenes where he's kind of orchestrating everything and allowed to do those bits of physical performance, I thought were when the movie may have been at its strongest Um, not to take anything away from Katie Johnson, who um, yeah, like I also agree with that. She put forth uh, you know, it's, it's her, she is the star of the show. She gives, I, I think, a pretty good performance, too. Yeah, uh, three things, I guess. Woof, sorry. Uh, but um, first, I, th- I agree with everything that's been said about Katie Johnson. And just, like, also in general, I think, Aaron, you've brought this up before. But, like, it's a real joy to see an older woman be the star of a movie, just in general. Especially, like, an older movie like this. It's just a, it's not a type of character you get to see a lot. And they have a lot of fun with her. And she's also just, she plays it really well. Like I, I, it's weird, right? Because like, I actually think that a lot of the acting in this movie is really good. I would even call Alec Guinness's performance immaculate in the sense that like, I think that there's not a single line in this movie that he, that he uh, throws a ball, right? Like, I, I think that he, he hits them all. 
like he gives the right performance. It's pitch perfect. It's maybe just not. And, and this is a weird uh, criticism to level, but like, I just don't think that they wrote a very good part for him. And like, it's interesting to note that um, this part wasn't written for him. It was written for Alistair Sim. Uh, and it says in Wikipedia that that Guinness based the performance on an Al- Alistair Sim performance. It's, I mean, it says seemingly, right? Which is such yeah. it's a weird thing to see on Wikipedia because there is no... There's no, uh, there's no reference for that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, who um, but fucking it, knows? It, it obvious. Like, if you've seen his version of Scrooge, like, it's it's obviously yeah. doing that. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and like, like, I, it's still Alec Guinness, right? So, like, he still fucking nails the vocal intonation and line delivery, and even the the facial performance. Like, I really think it's a great performance. It's just, I don't think that there's that much going on in this script. Which is like to get to your point, Aaron, which is that like you assemble these colorful casts of characters and they're supposed to juxtapose with the, the kind little old lady, um, uh, Louisa Wilberforce. And I just don't know that they do it. Like it's a tremendous waste of um, Peter Sellers, in my opinion. Uh, the character, Harry Robinson, whom I didn't know what his bit was. Like I, I had to look at the the Wikipedia and be like, oh, okay, he's what do they say about him? Um, he is a comedic Cockney spiv, is what they say about him. It's like okay, like what? I, the fuck yeah, does maybe, any of that mean? Maybe I'm missing like an archetype that he was supposed to fill in for. Maybe he's supposed to be the funny guy. He was absolutely a non presence in the movie for me, and it's fucking Peter Sellers' first role. Like that's the the um, Professor Clouseau, right? Like. Um, Anyway, and I just like, I don't know. And like one round is just a, a dumb guy, right? And like that's that's kind of a waste. And Lewis Harvey is just like a uh, murderer. And that's kind of a waste. He's your, like, average, he's your average Greek man is the thing. <laughs> I, I think he's, he's referred to as continental actually in uh, Wikipedia. So he's, <laughs> he's your average American, which there's almost something kind of funny about that. But, uh, you know, when they're killing them, each other at the end, like it didn't feel like a good payoff to me it didn't feel like these characters were boiling over and their sort of inherent differences were proving their undoing or their inherent greed. I'm like, I I kept thinking about uh, the taking of Pelham one, two, three, and what a good version of this that is like where all of those characters, their ends it's so ignominious feel so earned and they're so fascinating to watch. Uh, Whereas here it's just like, you get what's happening. You get where the ball is rolling almost immediately. And it's just like, okay, can we like get this over with to the point where I didn't understand why uh, professor Marcus and Lewis Harvey were killing each other at the end, except that professor Marcus seems to lose his mind maybe a little bit. Uh, And so I guess like I didn't have the problem with why they were staying there, but I had that problem where like, the, the plot contrivances really start to feel like contrivances after a certain point. Um, just because like there, you can see the sort of like uh, Greek tragedy, like predestined end for each of these characters. And you, you so clearly understand where it's going that you just sort of like, you're just waiting for the ball to drop. I don't know. If- uh, yeah. A couple quick things. Um, first I wanted to show my, uh, amazement and appreciation that harry used like three or four different sports analogies and i've been pretty- i've read a lot about baseball last night i was wondering if you would pick up on that bro uh, thank oh, you yeah nothing gets past me and ma- i don't know it makes me really happy to see how far this this enterprise has come uh so that's really neat to see have you uh, been watching blazeball at all have you been keeping up with blazeball no what we the hell is we're, blazeball? We're, we're i knew you were gonna bring up blazeball I'll, yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about it afterwards we don't have to talk about it right now
All right, fair enough. Um, and uh, on the note of Peter Sellers, uh, it was weird to see him in. I mean, everybody had you know a, a breakout role or a you know early part of their their filmography or first movie or, or what have you. Um, non presence, I think, is like a, a decent way to to describe him in this movie. He, he mostly just felt like one of the like him and uh, and Major Courtney to me were like you know equivalent uh in in utility which is to say not you know very i straight up forgot about the major yeah there you go um uh, i don't know if this is um if this fact is you know uh rotten tomatoes 100 certified fresh um but at least the legend is that peter sellers voiced the parrots in that house um which i guess made me think Ultimately, I'm thankful that like I initially thought it was going to be like, oh, no, Chekhov's talking birds. You know, the, we're going to get into some shenanigans with these guys later on. Um, I'm low key glad that we did not uh, hear the squawking of Mildred, General Gordon and um, Admiral Beatty, uh, you know, chipping away at this thankfully 91 minute runtime. Um but anyway, I just wanted to make sure Major Sellers got his his due diligence uh, in something that I don't think he was technically credited for. I I will say, uh, sorry to interject the the banging on the pipes. I was almost certain. I felt that's that's a Chekhov's pipe bang. And there are a lot of Chekhov's. Never came back, right? There were so yeah. many the parrots too. I, I mean, the parrots kind of come back, but not I, really. I, I was going to say, um, I think that the the story of the parrots and and sort of. Um, Wilberforce's backstory was the only like really truly very funny moment for me where she she reveals that that the parrots were all on the ship that her late husband went down with and he put the parrots on the final safety boat and then went down with the ship by himself (laughs) and and then it like she she's telling this story and it like it cuts over to him like giving the salute in this like portraiture that's on her wall, and then they they like refer back to that portraiture when um, in the in the second act uh, they're trying to convince Wilberforce that nobody is going to be hurt. This is a victimless crime. We should just keep the money. You're implicated anyway. She goes like. I, I could never do that out of principle. And then like, she's like making this like fierce sort of like looking up noble face. And then the camera just pans over to the fucking salute on the wall. That was hilarious. And like, that was a, that was a very funny joke that this movie made. And like kind of the exception that proved the rule to me that like the rest of this movie's humor felt so uh, like 1950s tame, I guess, which is maybe not a fair criticism to level, but like so much of it was like dependent on this sort of contradiction or juxtaposition that the movie thought I was going to find so, so funny that I just didn't. But when they do character work like that with Wilberforce and the fact that her sort of um, Don Quixote like allegiance to this bygone nobility is sort of poked fun at even though it wins the day that stuff really sung for me and i so desperately wish we could have gotten more of it and i just don't think that we necessarily did i i think i agree harry but i didn't see it as i didn't see the movie's use of that as like uh, underused or underdeveloped because like ultimately this movie comes down for me i i i've never seen the coen brothers version but i knew the general concept behind you know the plot so I'm anticipating a story where, you know, this group of basically Count Olaf's acting troupe from series of unfortunate events finds themselves uh, quarantined with, um, you know, 
like super arsenic and old lace style with an innocent force, right? Uh, and then eventually, you know, either wins her over or they or uh, or he she wins them over, and you know, everybody sort of parts with you know equal parts of the share or whatever. What this movie did instead, and watch it before you listen to this episode. What this movie did instead was keep repeating and using Mrs. Wilberforce as like the hardline moral wall against which to throw these uh, these these characters to be like no, none of your excuses will work. None of your character development is, is going to like, none of it's going to fly. She's right. Comedically, right. Work. She's, right. she's like exactly the wrong person that you wanted to come up against. Like, exactly. To, to the, exactly. Yeah. There's like, there's a scene where after they're found out through a really um, strange series of events that includes one round being, being stuck at the door and his uh, cello case bursts open with, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds in it, tens of thousands, whatever. Uh, and they're found out and she has to um, make a decision as to w- how she's going to turn them in uh, and how she's going to you know, treat them. And they try, the professor even tries to get her to empathize by saying each one of these men has a great reason for what they did. Like the major has yeah. an ailing mother, uh, Jerry or whatever Peter Sellers name was, has, you know, blank and blank, you know, there's illness, there's poverty. We are just redistributing and rationalizing it with, you know, there's, it's just a farthing on the dollar on, on everybody's payroll, right? That sort of thing. And it doesn't work, right? Like, and then it, that whole facade drops and it's just, yeah, these are just kind of like scummy guys out to make a really like strong, uh, quick score. And then the movie literally kills them by the end. It doesn't even give them the 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 sort of solace of having each other to like enjoy or to have to set up sequels and to you know do further bank heists with. It's literally you meet terrible people, they do the terrible things that you know hubris gets the better of them, their their moral hangups get the better of them, and they die. And I kind of like how straightforward and simple it turned out to be despite it being like again the pipe banging of the pipes is a good analogy for me because it set up a lot of things that i thought it was going to do that it didn't do and i was kind of kind of pleased by that uh yeah the characterization of mrs wilberforce you know as good as uh katie johnson's performance was you know as we've talked about um her character's uh trajectory is something that i kind of struggled with and maybe uh, I still am. Um, I think you're you're essentially correct, Jason, in that like she is painted as someone who is like the moral moral compass, or more appropriate, the moral wall that they're being thrown up against. And she's moral to to a, a fault, to, uh, you know, to like comedic extremes. And exactly. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's shown, you know, early on, she is, you know, I, I guess the movie's trying to set up that she has this behavior, where, you know, this bit that she does where she, she doesn't know that this is a silly thing to go to the cops for. But you know, she thought she saw a UFO and she, you know, felt her it her due diligence to, to report that. And like, and that's funny. Um, but then, like, later on, you know, she's shown, uh, you know, wanting to she 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 gets riled up enough to like want to put a small business uh like out of commission for good um i don't know that entire sequence was was so weird um but i and i guess like this is yeah yeah the, the movie painting those as like the same genre of the same flavor of scenario um when you know the, there's <laughs> there, there was something seriously wrong to me with uh you know the movie you know, I guess to, to illustrate this, the heist happens. Um, 
through a, different circumstances, the the case of of money is left, and there's you know a, a horse drawn carriage without its driver eating fruit out of a fruit stand, and uh, I guess the, the camera doesn't show that the owner of uh, the proprietor of this fruit stand is abusing the horse in any way. It's just denying the horse food. Um, you know, which whatever, uh, you know, no animals were harmed. The horse seems to be getting, you know, chomping away at, at a good amount of, of food. But <sighs> Wilberforce going off in the way that she does is something that I just could not rationalize in a movie where so many things were so difficult to rationalize. And this it just, is a really great point. It, it just it just seemed like too far of, of, a, of a stretch, too far of a reach for me to be like, okay, like there are a few big pieces that the movie needs to string together and like this is what's happening here and i just could not and did not buy into it maybe you guys did um and i if so or if if not i would love to hear about that but that man that just really stuck with me and rubbed me not a right good way so this is the crux right is that we are meant that the movie makes us want to love and root for uh Wilberforce, who is an exacting illustration of a person who in real life is terrible. Like the sort of like yes. unbelievable, like, like rumor spreading, busybody, self-righteous old woman, especially for, uh, should I say perhaps Americans in the year 2020, we know is like, that is a, that is a terrible human being. She, <laughs> like, the, like she is the older version of the person who calls the cops on people for walking on the sidewalk, right? Or like, y- yes, that's oh, exactly yeah. right. I, w- I was going to make the the um, reference to like specifically like calling a, the bird watcher in Central Park, right? Like she's just an old version of that woman. Like I don't think that it's not. I'm not criticizing the movie, right? Because the the movie can can make the illustration. It can square that circle by telling us that Wilberforce is actually the only perhaps a version of that woman in history who actually is morally righteous and is sort of like has the strength of her beliefs is not racist, is not uh, like exceptionalist or meritocratic, right? Like, like she can be the the mythological good version of that, the way that uh, movies can have mythological good cops. She is essentially a mythological good cop, right? Which we know doesn't exist in reality, but in my mind, at least it's not, necessarily damning to this movie that it exists here because it's a movie um but that is that is really funny cody that you bring that up because that was also a cognitive dissonance that i had with this movie uh it's it's very funny that like sometimes the movie actually plays with it in interesting ways particularly in the second act when wilberforce's um moral apparent uprightness is uh lampooned for comedic effect right it, it seemed to be so obstinate and so overdone that it's ridiculous, which is also how she is introduced to the story as this sort of like busybody woman who everybody sort of is bemused by. Um, but she's going to uh, police stations and she's getting in everybody's business and everybody's way. Um, I like the idea of um, rehabilitating that character because it is a lovable character, right? Like Wilberforce is sort of your grandma in a really real sense and you sort of want to see your grandma um redeemed or seen as somebody who still has a place in society and still has like a um her her like moral virtues are still something that you want to win out even though in reality you would not at all want them to win out and in fact when they're when they're making this point to her that like hey listen like this money was insured 
And all that's going to happen is that everybody's premiums are going to rise by a penny. I was like, man, that's a pretty fucking good point. This is a, this is a victim of this crime. They're just, they're robbing them from like a bank. The bank's not even going to be hurt. And, and if the bank was hurt, fuck the bank. Like they should get this money. They were right. And, and like, it, it was kind of funny that the movie anticipates you feeling that way a little bit to the point where they're, they're able to make fun of the woman. But then the rest of the movie is about how actually it's a slippery slope. And like, if you, if you start thinking that way, uh, all of the rest of your virtues will slide with it and you'll end up killing one another. Right. And so by, by the end, it, it comes to this conclusion about the rightness of Wilberforce in a way that for a contemporary audience, such as ourselves kind of feels wrong. Right. Totally. Um, yeah, when the movie concludes on that note where we're essentially the, the that prophecy is founded to be correct, you know, like the, the rest of the world will not care that this movie was stolen in the first place and therefore you were better off letting, you know, these men keep it, you know, or just you keeping it and, and not raising a fuss about it. And like when that beat landed, I was exhausted i felt exhausted in a way that like if i had just watched a 90 minute looney tune uh episode or something um like there's a reason looney tunes are like eight minutes long uh it's because they're like high energy and exhausting and they should only be that long but just like the knowing that like the actions that we had just witnessed like could have amounted to nothing or like I don't know. I, I just have a tough time reconciling that when movies are like, oh, actually, everything you just watched was a dream. It's like, well, Jesus, then what am I doing here? You're acting like the uh, the 93 minute 2003 Looney Tunes back in action movie does not exist. <laughs> just pretending like that movie never came out. I I haven't seen that, so I cannot speak for it. So um, in theaters, I don't remember it. Wow. So. We, uh, we should maybe give the movie some credit in that I think uh, a bit of Wilberforce's annoyance and the static that it generates is intentional, right? Like, it, the exasperation that we're feeling is something that the movie exaggerates for comedic effect, right? It's like it's like Aaron uh, pointing out that, like, there's that moment when the, the criminals are in their lodging and they're trying to plan their heist and she keeps knocking on their door, right? There, there's some sense in which we're supposed to be, in a weird way... Uh, like seeing her from the perspective of the criminals where it's like, Jesus, this, this lady just keeps interfering with this plan. And you kind of like, you want to be playfully annoyed by her, even though in the end, of course you don't want her to die. Right. right whatever. But like, there's some sense in which like, like the annoyance that she generates and it's com comedic exaggeration is an annoyance that the movie is using for an effect. So like, it makes sense. Uh, it's just, it's pretty unfair to like to like pull in the fact that like oh no like this is not just annoying and sweet it's annoying and like terrible <laughs> and like i know people like that in real life and they're terrible but like that's maybe not not fair right and so like it, it it's just interesting that's a really good use of her character i think that like we keep coming back to uh like wilberforce is the really interesting element of this story i feel like um more so than the the criminals which is maybe why the the criminals are caricatures if they just had the low down no goodness to kill her n the whole movie falls apart like literally that's the end of the film right and i think that is that's the sort of tension that i i enjoyed seeing play out again like they are just they just keep bouncing off of her finding less than lethal ways to approach the situation like 
from the moment that she sees all that money fly out of one round suitcase or cello case, they knew like this is this is going to go completely wrong. Everything is everything is completely fucked unless we kill her. And they can't even do that. Even the even the guy who is always packing uh, a gun or a knife can't come up. Yeah, with he, he looks like metal, the fucking right? samurai, right? Like it's like yeah. if there's a guy who's gonna kill an old la- little old lady, it's fucking this guy. He says at right. the beginning of the movie, "I hate little old ladies," and it's like, holy shit, this guy's dangerous. <laughs> and even even, it, even he's like, mm, I don't want to do it. Yeah, he makes everybody else draw straws or draw the shortest match to get. I mean, he's the one who does that, right? I I just think that the it's not novel. I will not say that it's a movie that I'll like watch again and again, but it was like comfortable, I guess. And in that respect, I found some value in it. I found some like something to enjoy. I won't say that it outstrips any other form of comedy, but like because it does feel in a lot of ways the the, the vibe I'm getting from everybody else's feedback here is like it feels prototypical, and it is right. Like the writer of this film. I think on Wikipedia, I read that he said that it just sort of materialized in his head in a dream, uh, which, you know, the veracity of that is is questionable. But like the fact that it's just something so n- novel at the time it, to be made in the 1950s is to me pretty charming. Like you can see much better versions of this later on. You can see this idea much like in both comedic and more dramatic uh, ways and directions. But the fact that it like neither of those had existed prior to this. I just think it's a, like, it was, it was cute. It's enjoyable. I yeah. didn't have to think way too much about it. Like I said, that's, that's what I mean when I say the less complicated it got, the more, or the less like complex and it, the, the less it demanded my attention of every plot beat. And I could just sort of see where it was coasting, the more I enjoyed it. Plus when Alec Guinness dies at the end, because the train signal just bonks him on the head and he flies off funny. like a puppet that, that, that like, Aaron wasn't that, watching and I had to rewind to get him to watch it. And then the he's fucking like, GTA oh, yeah, ragdoll is very good. It's like, <laughs> it's like even, even as he tumbles to his death, he's really acting the hell out of it. Right. It's just like, I love the way that his body falls and it's so fast. And it's just like, Holy shit. I don't, that, that couldn't have actually been Alec Guinness, right? That had, oh, that had to have been a mannequin right. or something. So the mannequin should best, he, best. Yeah. Act. He was acting oh. the hell out of it. Yeah, he was acting hell of it. Uh, Jason, you had mentioned the writer for this film in like a David Lynch manner coming up with it in a dream. Uh, it is worth noting he not only wrote this movie, he was a, a, a you know a fairly well-known writer uh, in his time. He also wrote It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which I don't know if anybody here has seen, but is a... I, I saw that as a kid. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know. I saw that as a kid too. It lines up. It's like... It's like three and a half hours long. I wonder if that whole, I yeah. bet there's some weirdly problematic shit in that movie, but I remember enjoying three it. Three and a well. half hour long comedy sounds fucking brutal to me. I'm not going to uh, lie. <laughs> are you aware what that movie? It's it's like a, uh, it's like an earlier rat race was a, like a yeah, remake. Like, of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's easy to watch some, it's a good, it goes down easy. I think I, think I might've seen it like 20 years ago, but yes, yeah. uh, I remember that Nick and I rented it uh, from like the movie store when we were younger and it was, Literally, it was before DVD. Well, the version that we were renting, I think this might have even been before DVDs. And it was four VHSs that they had just like put in one giant pack. Uh, <laughs> just like, hell yes. Ooh, glad I don't have to deal with that shit anymore. Uh, but he also wrote uh, the movie that he won the Oscar for original screenplay for. Does anybody know what that is? No. Sounds like no. no. He wrote, he wrote, guess who's coming to dinner? Which Ooh, does not feel Yeah, I know. Versatile, right? 
between this and Mad 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 World, I feel like he's a versatile writer. That's all I got about. Yeah. Uh, that's all yeah, I got about yeah. Willie Rose. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I should Thanks. I should say to Jason, like, I don't I I don't think this is a bad movie by any means, right? Like, I would never call it a bad movie. If I had to like professionally review it, I would review it positively. Um, I I just didn't enjoy it really. I guess right, which is is much more about my particular um, subjective sensibility than it is about any artistic right. and, and, measures and I, that they do. And I conversely, like, I wouldn't call it a particularly good movie, but I yeah. would also say, like, I didn't, I, I did enjoy it. So, like, almost perfectly inverse of your opinion. Like, you yeah. can't, wh- what you're saying is is that you can't, like, fault it too much as a movie itself. You recognize what it is, but it's just not your thing. I think it was my thing, and yet I can, I can recognize, like, I, I know where its shortcomings were, right? Like, the the whole horse scene that thing goes on for like 14 minutes why the yeah. fuck is that scene so goddamn long <laughs> uh, i i this movie drags at times i have been overly oh, they, positive they, at this uh, point they shouldn't have shown the heist i kept thinking how much better the movie would have been if it would have been like reservoir dogs where they just cut to after the heist because the oh, heist yeah. was nonsense like it was yeah. not interesting or like like and it was and it was literally and it was literally all a setup for the umbrella gag. Like the punchline there was the umbrella, yeah. and that was the whole like by the time. And they don't even like put a musical sting there. It's just all of them cramped in that phone box. And Alec Guinness says mm, she forgot. It turns out that she had left her umbrella at the station. Mm, and then it just fade to the next scene. It's it's not worth it. The like what should it, be it the really absolute because, climax. Yeah. I like as the scene was beginning, I was I was like, wow, I can't believe that they're going to show the heist. I thought this was going to be a single location drama. And like they old movies like this never show this sort of thing. And it'll be really exciting to see this. And then like halfway through the heist, I was like, now I understand why they never show this shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does. It reminds me a lot of there are like 10,000 jokes by like hack stand up comics and even some good ones about like how easy crime was before forensics came around. Uh, and that's essentially what this the heist scene reminded me of. Where it's like robbing shit was probably just like pulling a dude out of a car back in like 1945. Like that that's pretty much what being rich was was just like robbing stagecoach, and just no one had any. That's idea. always what being rich was, baby. Yeah. Hey. Uh, uh, in my in my view, any any heist in any comedy should end or begin with a cop getting his pants pulled down, and if it doesn't have that, not worth putting in the movie. Just maybe trying to sense. run after the gang, but he can't because his pants is down. And he falls on his cop fat with one white of those, ass. Like hilarious, hard plastic, like wobbly things. I really love those things. Always good for a laugh in movies. Uh, oh. Harry, Harry and Cody, can I ask how you liked this movie uh, in relation to the other Ealing Studios movies that we watched so far? Because I, I talked to Jason about it, and Jason, I said this was my least favorite. Jason said this was his most favorite. I'm kind of curious. That's for you not now. what I said. Are you asking you asking us uh, to rank these like in a list? No, Is I'm that... just wondering how does it compare Classic to Grossman ranking maneuver? <laughs> yeah. Yes, ranking. He, he really uh, he snuck that one in the back door. Actually, <laughs> can I ask you I, how you would compare these to the remaining films in the series? I, I'm uh, happy. I'm happy to do that. I think. Um, I think that um, Kind Hearts and Coronets is like far far and away my favorite of this series, like by degrees. Um, and I think, uh, hmm. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Say like it, man. Pimlico is better than this. I think Pimlico is better than this. I think that that Pimlico is maybe more interesting ooh, than this. Ooh, ooh, I don't ooh. like either of those movies. Is the thing. Um, I I think that that Pimlico was like 
more attention grabbing because it's it dispenses so much with traditional plot structure in favor of being like a weird 1950s The Office almost uh, that I could kind of get with. Um, and I think that Lady Killers was maybe even more um, difficult for me to pay attention to. Sorry, Lady Killers. I don't think you're a bad movie once again. Um, I think ultimately my uh, rankings of the three are the same uh, as what Harry just laid out. Let's I, go. I think I'm, uh, I, I don't know about Kind Hearts and Cornets being like degrees or tiers higher than uh Pimlico, or at least to that no, same it is. extent. It is. Um, yeah, it's not for me. Excuse me. Sorry, I'm 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 getting uh, I'm getting word from our sponsors. Um, in fact, Pimlico is is uh, Harry Harry was right actually that uh, that kind of cornets is degrees and leagues better. Uh, Cody, you want to take that back for me? Uh, I I can I can roll back the tape. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, I don't know. Not really. I'm good. <laughs> no, I I for for clarity. Aaron misrepresents me on a daily basis, and I'm just used to it. I always have That's to, what you said last go back night. to clear my name. It is not. I, 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 I said I said that it was likely that this movie, The Lady Killers, is likely on the same tier for me as Carnage and Coronets. Excuse me. Anybody who listened to our Carnage and Coronets episode, all six of the people who've listened to it one time each, will remember that I was just just really fucking furious about what kind arts and coronets was doing and sort of came back around to it. But like after the fact, it's a different experience. So putting the lady killers, which I'm, you know, warm on, but not cheering for on the level with kind arts and coronets, which I fucking hated. And only after discussion came out to about middling, I think they're on the same level. Pimlico's for me still a fairly distant third. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't agree that any of these movies are super good or maybe even, just worth watching casually. I think the fact that they're playing at the trial line is a great reason to go see them because you'll see them in a way that you haven't been able to see them before. Uh, but if, if, if you're not sure that it's your thing, I, I like, I, I think that this is obstinate doubling down on your negative opinion of kind hearts. And exactly Clarence. right. Guys, do you even, want to get the shit out of Jason? Let's yes. Get him. Always. Yeah. Let's get this guy. You're going to need six foot arms, big guys. Um, we are, I think getting close to the point uh, that everybody loves and knows, but um, do we have any remaining thoughts? Any, any, any squirts we want to get out? Uh, Jesus Christ. Why would you say that? The, the poster to this movie kicks ass. Uh, I must say it has it is one of my good. favorite Alec Guinness faces ever. Um, and I kind of like, it almost makes me like the whole movie a little bit more because it gives me a sense of like what the 1950s version of this movie was going for, which is again, that just these criminals are like, they look like, like monsters in, in this movie poster. Like they, they look like uh, um, Frankenstein or something. It's, it's rad. Um, and, and so like, you know, a lot that along with the title makes me almost wish for a more uh, like, exaggerated version of this not that this wasn't exaggerated um Ooh, i got an exaggerated version you could watch i don't know if i want to watch that one but we'll see i that's like one of three coen brothers movies i haven't seen so uh maybe um a miscellaneous gripe that i have that um i won't spend too much time on because i don't know I, i'm not fluent in like quote unquote heist films i guess if, uh, i don't know if lady killers is really that but like 
that's that I have many blind spots and that's one of them uh, in my film upbringing. Um, but I noticed this in Rafifi too. So I hope it doesn't constitute a pattern, but it might. Um, the fact Rafifi that like too, the, they made a sequel. Oh boy. Um, there's a comment there somewhere. Uh, also shut up. Also um, anyways, Herbert Lom. Re, uh, I think it's called re Rafifi. R E colon Rafifi. <laughs> oh, Herbert Lom, uh, who played Louis, um, a.k.a. Mr. Harvey, according to Letterboxd. Um, we, we touched on his character a little bit. Um, kind of gestured at at this, uh, I don't know, this issue I had with it. But basically that the fact that the the foreigner or like the um, the person in the group painted as like the... I don't know, the one with the most notable uh, accent really is what it comes down to. Um, the fact that that person has to be painted as like the least reliable and or most unhinged one. Like he's the one most thirsty for blood um, or like most willing to to cross that line. And he's kind of like trying to, at least early on, trying to get everybody over on that side. Um, uh, I think with Rafifi, if memory serves, that's another one I saw at the trial on. Shout out to trial on cinema. Um, who shows great movies um the the quote-unquote foreigner of that group was more so just like the least reliable one um in a way that again was like very jarring and distracting um someone who is maybe more fluent in like this type of uh genre or like subgenre. um like feel free to like uh, hit us up or like correct me if that seems off base hopefully this is just like an anomaly um but also it's like it's the fifties. Uh, and like, I wouldn't doubt that being something that was, that was prevalent. Well, Lewis Harvey was American, right? Was the Rafifi foreigner American? Right. I even like coming down to just like the fact that he is, uh, uh, hold on, pulling up his, his biography. I mean, he was born, he was, yeah. Czech born British film and television actor. Like that accent is there. And like, he's not like the capital f like foreigner oh, of the sucks. group but but just the the fact that like there's a little you know there's a different kind of twang in in his voice um i don't because maybe, I, maybe i can maybe be clear too much but i love the lady killer's assertion that americans are amoral murderers uh oh yeah 100 i don't i don't have any i take issue with the idea of rep- misrepresenting foreigners from other countries as uh derogatory that's no good but yeah uh, yeah America's if, bad, if, we if you want to shit on if you want to shit on quote-unquote continental people uh like lewis harvey you can do that all day please go ahead yes but uh anyway I I didn't that, want that to go on yeah I, th- thank you it's, it's worth mentioning i think that the sort of uh, big scare quotes uh, exoticism of the character that's sort of like subtly there comes from the fact that Herbert Lom, the guy who played Louis Harvey, uh, is a Czech English actor who I guess spent the first 20 years of his life or so um, in uh, Czechoslovakia. So that like slight Balkan accent comes through, even though, as Harry says, he's like intimated to be an American. Um, it it doesn't always play well. I might have just well. misinterpreted that. Yeah. I, gu- I guess. I don't know enough about words or the world to know if continental means the United States to anybody, but I'm assuming uh, that since, since it's something you've read into it, that, that it's probably accurate. And it seems, it seems like it's probably like not. for a troop, a for, for, for a troop like that, you know uh, that, you know, essentially 
they look like everybody's uh, tabletop RPG group. You know, there's a big dumb guy. There's um, the the, mur- the murderous uh, guy from Crete. There's uh, the mastermind who's too weak to actually do anything. There's the other dumb guy with a gun. Um, I, I don't know. It uh, obviously uh, troubled, problematic portrayal of, of that character. I will say a, a notch down from the fact that Kind Hearts and Coronets uses uh, an explicit racial slur. <laughs> three times in the last five minutes of his runtime. So if we're, if we're measuring on a course of problematicness or wokeness, it, it's definitely not trending up with this film. Uh, anybody, anybody else, or can we go into that segment? I think it's, time. I think I'm, I think it's time. It's time. I think it's time. I think it's time. Cody's, Cody's noties. We'll get it someday. I think that was the worst one. We did. Oh, Come on. I was 100% was on post, fix it in post. I will. Hey. Yeah, that's what that's what post is for. Um, anywho, uh, so the Lady Killers, um, you know, it's a it's a bit of a movie as uh, we've come to find out during the past uh, fifty six minutes. Um, there was a time in the second half uh, or so of the movie that I started to half tune in, and instead I put together a um, a uh, sort of Mad Libs inspired. Um, you can call it uh, tri-libs um, if you would like. Um, I know I certainly will. Um, but, you know, something in the vein of the classic uh, Mad Libs write-ups from our youths um, where, you know, fill in words. And this one is vaguely heist-themed. Uh, um, it also gets into, you know, tri-love and trilon uh, stuff. So uh, if you if you fellas are on board, um, you know, we'll just pardon my my clicking and audio. Um, I'll just go through. Uh, we'll rotate around and I'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll get this filled in and hopefully we'll uh, we'll end this. Uh, we'll cap this episode off on a, a, a on an upper instead of a downer. Um, so let's see. I'll, I'll go. I'll go af- alphabetical for this. Um, so, Aaron, uh, from yeah. you, I, I need an adjective. I'm gonna Google list of <laughs> Oh come on, uh, man! Uh, school of management, am I right? Elegant. <laughs> Ooh, oh, God, is that's a good one. What? Uh, perfect. Uh, no, that's good. Uh, Harry, you're up next. I need uh, a plural noun or a noun, and I can make it plural later. Whatever you want, boys. Just like you, boys. Elegant boys. <laughs> All right. Um, we are, by the way. Jason, from you, I need a type of business. Cobbler. Wish you had gone to Carlson now, huh, bud? I, I literally <sighs> just gave my answer. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't go to school here. Carlson's a business. Everybody else got it. There is. If I can, if I can share a quick story, I went to uh, Nathan Fielder's talk at the UMN uh, late last year, and somebody, um, I forget how he got onto the topic of like having too much money and stuff, uh, and you know. Oh, cool, he, cool, he, cool. Oh. Yeah, well, no, not not from himself. He was he was disparaging people uh, of of the upper class, which I, is is a little bit hypocritical, I'm sure, because he's you know a Hollywood star. But anyway, point being, uh, the kind of crowd was with him, you know, and and then one person just shouts, "Sorry that I like having money," and they all booed her. And then she, and then he asked, 
where are you from? Like, what school did you go to? And she says, I'm from Carlson School of Business Management. So oh, you fucking and, knew what it she, was? And she, and she literally got booed out of the room. Let's go. <laughs> right, that is very funny. That is very funny, but that does mean that you knew what Carlson was a second ago and still choose to not yes and. No, all that I know is that the people... fact that he already said his business when you said, now you wish you were in business. I said cobbler. cobbler before yeah. you said that part. So he okay, preempted so co- your joke. Cody, my answer is cobbler. It, this is a great fun game. Thank you. Sweet. Um, a fine, good game. M- moving right along. Um, Aaron, from you, I need a name of a Trilove host. Any of us four. Aaron. You got to go, Aaron. Let's go. You can look this one up if you need to. But... Yeah. <laughs> List of Trilove hosts. Oh, um, myself, yeah. Uh, Harry, from you, I need an emotion. <sighs> Depressed. She is perfect. Um, that was the first one that came to mind. What? Uh, Jason, from you, I need the name of a, a different Trilove host. So Cody. not... An- huh? Aww. That's so considerate. Um, or maybe, we'll see. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> from, you, from you, I need an article of clothing. Uh, Five-inch themed... Shorts. Do it. Uh, Do yes, five, shorts. five inch, five inch inseam shorts. Five Fuck inch inseam shorts. All righty. Um, Harry, from you, I need an occupation. Can I say cobbler again? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> what if you want? Yeah. Well, let's do cobbler again. Why not? <laughs> um. Jason, from you, I need the name of a trial of host who has not been listed yet. <laughs> well, really throw me the softballs there, Cody. So not Aaron. Uh, we're mm, shit. Uh, Do you need to look it up? Can I? Can I pass? Uh, I'll go oh, Harry. It's like, dude, Nick Grossman. Can we do Harry? <laughs> we do yeah. You were controlling a lot of the a lot of the fates with this um, in a sort of duel. Um, so I would not let you pass that off. Um, but now we are moving on to back to Aaron. I need a color. Blue. Harry, from you, I need a type of vehicle. Uh, sedan. I do know how to spell that. <laughs> um, Jason, from you, I need a uh, a type of weapon in the plural form. Is a is caltrops a weapon or is it just an obstruction? Yeah, Al- caltrops. What? Wow, the very good. Is that? Am I? Little spiky balls that you throw in front of a car to get its tires to explode. Can also, you? what a great answer! Because as an aside, I was making fun of Aaron earlier, but being asked to come up with shit on the spot is hard. I thought yeah. I was more creative than this. I just said sedan. Yeah, sedan. I did elegant. It was amazing. Um. Look, I went to the the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Minnesota. Can That's you right. Eltrops for me. CLA for life, baby. <laughs> how do how do you spell that weapon? A L T R O P S. Perfect. This is where gaming comes again. Carl, the, yeah. fact, the fact that Cody hasn't gamed is really letting him down. I can also spell cantrips if you want. Uh, That's free, in fact. Uh, What I do need from Aaron, though, is name the name of a previous Try Love guest. You gotta gotta go. Look, you gotta go, Nick, baby. Nick Grossman, let's go. 
All right. Um, Aaron and Nick both represented. Uh, all right. We've got, we've got a few left. Um, Harry, from you, I need a time of day. 3.19 p.m. 3.19 p.m. Perfect. Uh, Jason, from you, I need the name of a movie. Any movie. You might have to look that one up. He's going to say Mad Max. List of movies. Um, bringing down the house. I saw you just added that to your watch list. Very. I watched. Con- I watched that conservatively a dozen times before I turned thirteen years old, and I remember so little of it. So I'm going to watch it again. Good call. Um, uh, in that movie, unless I'm mistaken, I, be- I believe Eugene Levy says, uh, "You got me straight tripping, boo." So you have a lot yep. to look forward to. Wow. He also has. Uh, he also gets cornrows. I do remember that. Oh yeah, that's right. Um. And uh, last one here, concluding, Aaron, from you, I need an adjective. Let me load up that list again one more time. Infuriating? How about unkempt? Unkempt. All right, fellas, uh, thank you for participating in the first installment of Tri-Libs. I'm going to go ahead yeah. and, and, and read this sucker here. All right. <clears throat> One elegant day, the Tri-Love crew decided they were in dire need of boys. And so, right. they, <laughs> and so they decided to make a plan to steal some from the local cobblers. The, or cobbler shop? I don't know. The, the institution in which a cobbler resides. The cobbler's house. The group voted and decided unanimously that Aaron should lead the heist. He was depressed as he dutifully accepted the responsibility. To get an idea of what they would be up against, Cody investigated the establishment, wearing a five-inch in- wearing five-inch inseam shorts and disguised as a cobbler. See that makes sense. That, See, that you know what? That does make total sense. Look at us. Look at us. Gaming the system. Uh, meanwhile, Harry was assigned the role of getaway driver, and so he made the necessary preparations to his blue sedan. Jason was in charge of obtaining weapons for the job. He decided upon some caltrops, which he purchased from friend of the pod, Nick Grossman. That makes sense. Nick has big jackets. He just opens up to reveal. To reveal what? Okay, A lot of weapons. Uh, Gotcha. Okay, perfect. We'll keep them in mind for future heists. On the day of the heist, the group met at 3.19pm outside of their home base, the Trilon Cinema. They noticed on the marquee that Bringing Down the House was playing, and so they decided (laughs) to skip their heist and go see Bringing Down the House instead. All in all, they had an unkempt time, and they all gave the movie five stars on Letterboxd. Gentlemen's five. This is oh, a bit wow. of a premonition. Fantastic, Cody. Yeah, very good. I'm really looking forward to more. Yet another crime prevented by the Trilon Cinema. Thank you to the Trilon. <laughs> I like to think they prevent a lot of crimes, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, certainly yeah. from me. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, thank God damn, that was a good one. Thank you, Cody. You're making the show better. It's taking you. as always. Yeah, it's taking you two, two episodes. Of 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 be more like making these interactive segments to make our show just three hundred percent better. Uh, that is and the I think inspiration you. that the Lady Killers uh, provides. So happy to help. So we're all agreed that it is at least a four point five, right? Cool. I think I have I'm going to gonna keep muting you. Yeah, uh, if only because it inspired this wonderful uh, display of, of friendship. 
All right. Uh, thank you, Cody, for your noties. And thank you, listeners. Mm, see what I did there? For listening to Try Love. Uh, you can find us on you Twitter. You sounded at- like Tim Curry and Ferngully when you did that little mmm thing. Wow, what a call. <laughs> that is the most Tim Beautiful. Curry sound. Hmm. I'll have to keep that in mind. Mm. He did uh, it again. This has been Try Love. Please proceed. Our episode about the 1955 film, The Lady Killers. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema. And you can find tickets to this movie, which is playing this uh, for Thursday, Friday, this weekend, this coming weekend, uh, at Trilon.org. And the tickets to uh, most of the rest of the year's programming. Um, limited capacity, wear your mask, don't bring any food or drink in, but have a great time at the Trilon Cinema. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Wear a goddamn fucking mask. Uh, I've been Cody. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Wear a mask. Also, don't bring anything into the theater. Uh, last time I went to the Trilon, I saw some people bring some water bottles and shit into the theater. You gotta take your masks off to, to drink that, unless you're like, you've invented some new form of drinking that I'm not a privy to, or you have Intravenous like a catheter, Gatorade. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... That's unlikely, to be honest. I, you know, I'm not trying to doubt people, but so maybe just don't bring anything in. Uh, if you're going to go to a movie, that would be swell. Um, I'm Harry. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. Sorry about all of the Final Fantasy X tweets. I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RB Please, and I have fashioned one of those football helmets that you put uh, drinks into that have a hose to go into your mouth, and I've filled it with Monster Energy Drink, and I will be bringing that into the Trilon Theater. And he has lost all hair on his body. It's bad for you. It's not good to drink all that, yeah. You're as hot as the rest of us, Mum.